0: This is the Mahabharata Podcast, Episode 35. Welcome back, Arjun. Last time, the Pandavas traveled about as far north as could be imagined, to the slopes of Mount Kailash, where they camped out at the hermitage of Nar Narayan. jinks ensued when a thousand petal lotus blew off the mountain, and Draupadi sent Bhima off in search of the source of these divine flowers. Bhima devastates the slopes of the mountain in search of the lotus, and along the way, he encounters Hanuman, at this point, the famous monkey is incredibly ancient, and he gives us a brief first-hand account of the Ramayana. It turns out that Bhima and Hanuman are brothers, because they are both sons of the wind god. The monkey tells Bhima where to find the flowers and then vanishes. The source of the flowers is a pond in the middle of the god Kubera's pleasure garden. Kubera's garden is guarded by hordes of rakshasas, but by now rakshasas are not a big problem for Bhima. In no time, he slaughtered a vast army of the creatures and then dove into the pond, drinking in the healing waters and gathering lotus flowers. Inexplicably, Kubera doesn't get angry over the vandalism and death. He welcomes Bhima and allows the rest of the Pandavas to stay in his garden. Among the gods, Kubera is kind of an odd duck. He's the god of wealth, but he's also the king of the Yakshas. Van Boutenen characterizes Yakshas as genial leprechauns, hardly a fearful race. Unlike other gods, Kubera also seems to rule over a real geographic location. Remember when the Asura Maya built Yudhishthira's palace, Maya traveled north to Kubera to retrieve gems and gold for the new structure. Now what happens next is a little confusing. The story seems to jump back in time and retells what happened after the Pandavas were dropped off at Nar Narayan's hermitage. In this version, not all the Brahmin hangers-on were left behind with Kuninda. Some were carried along by Gatukkacha's flying rakshasas and stayed with the Pandavas at the Hermitage. Among these Brahmins was one bad rickshasa in disguise. This guy was interested in stealing their weapons and armor. His name was Jatasura. When Bhima went out hunting, Jatasura broke out of his disguise and grabbed their weapons, grabbed Draupadi, Yudhishthira, and Nakul, and flew off with them. Sahadev managed to break free and he ran off to get Bhima. Yudhishthira was not greatly disturbed. He had been through too much to be bothered by a single rogue rakshasa. He just scolded the beast as it carried them away. Yudhishthira said to the ogre, Your prospects don't look good at the moment. We protected you, fed you, and honored you, and now you have done this. Such serious breaches of dharma are swiftly punished. If you'd like any chance of surviving, then put us down and give us our weapons and let us fight fairly. Yudhishthira then began to grow heavy. He grew so heavy that the ogre had to struggle to move at all. The king said, have no fear, fool Rakshasas. I've slowed his pace, and Bhima will be here soon enough. By the time Bhima got to them, he had worked himself into a fury. He told Jatasur, I knew you were a Rakshasa a long time ago, but I didn't care. You did your duties and didn't bother us, so we let you live. But now you've crossed the line. Jatasur then released his captives and charged angrily at his ogre-slaying foe. An abbreviated fight scene ensued, with trees knocked down and a boulder fight but it ended predictably with the dead Rakshasa and a victorious Bhima. There's a sense of jumping back in time again. This time, Yudhishthira announces that Arjun's five-year mission to acquire WMD is nearly over, and they must head north to meet him. Again, they are flown northward with Gattukkacha to Mount Gandhamadana to state an ancient ashram. This time, however, the ashram is named after Arshtasena. While they stayed at this earthly paradise, a fabulous five-colored flower blew in on the breeze. Draupadi spotted the flower and sent Bhima off to find more. This time Bhima invaded Kubera's kingdom and he was immediately engaged in a war with all the Yakshas, Rakshasas, and Gandharvas that lived there. Bhima killed vast numbers of them and sent the remainder running in fear. Only the Rakshasa leader, Manamat, continued to fight. This Rakshasa general put up a good fight, but Bhima in the end killed him as well. Once again, Yudhishthira heard the commotion on the mountain top and quickly headed up there to see what Bhima was up to. When they got there, Bhima had already killed or scattered all the enemies, and Yudhishthira begged him not to do it again. While this reunion was taking place, Kubera rode up in his chariot with a large force of fairy tale creatures behind him. The Pandavas prepared to fight until they saw Kubera was laughing and smiling. He told them everything was fine. Bhima had just been fulfilling a curse made long ago. It turns out that many years before, Kubera had gone to a convention of the gods with his buddy, Manamat. Manamat sort of crashed the party and spat on Agastya while he was performing a sacrifice. The irritable old sage cursed Manamat to die, along with his minions, at the hands of a human, and that Kubera should also suffer for it. So Bima had done them all a favor, and Kubera was happy with the outcome. This time, Kubera did not invite them to stay. He sent them back to Arshtasena's ashram with some gifts. Finally, after all these diversions, the fifth year of Arjun's mission came to an end, and the Pandavas waited expectantly for their brother to return. Not long afterward, they spotted a celestial chariot descending from the sky. It was Indra's chariot, driven by Matali, with Arjun diademed and garlanded, riding shotgun. Piled in the back were heaps of magical weapons. Vyasa switches to poetry at this point to cover the joyful reunion of the five brothers. Arjun dismounted the chariot, showed them all the cool stuff he picked up from the gods, and then told them all about his adventures in heaven. Most of Arjun's story was a retelling of his journey to heaven, how he fought Shiva, learned to use various weapons, and then studied dance with Chitrasena. Arjun then went on to say that, after he had mastered all the divine weapons, his father Indra then demanded his guru fee. Arjun readily agreed to whatever he desired. Indra said, With your training and weapons, nothing in the three worlds is impossible to you. I have enemies, a bunch of dhanavas, who are called nivatakavakas. They live in an inaccessible spot by the sea. There are 30 million of them, and they all look the same. Kill them all, and that shall be my fee. Indra then presented Arjun with armor matching his own, a bowstring that would never wear out, and allowed him the use of his own chariot and driver. These nivatakavakas are variously called asuras, dhanavas, and daityas, but their name translates roughly as clad in airtight armor. Considering that their city hovers out over the open sea, they sound vaguely like ETs in spacesuits living in a giant Vimana or UFO. The ensuing battle is very similar to Krishna's battle with King Shalva and his flying city. Whatever these creatures were, they provided Arjun an excellent opportunity to try out his cool new weapons. The Dhanavas used magical weapons and sorcery of various sorts to confound Arjun, but our hero had weapons and spells to counter each of them. He even launched Indra's own thunderbolts at them, killing thousands at a blast. Just as Shalva was able, briefly, to confuse Krishna into thinking Dwarka had been destroyed, these asuras used confounding magic to distract their attackers. Arjun was blinded, and Matali was driven to despair. Arjun had a spell for this too, however, and he was able to reverse the effect, throwing his enemies into confusion and enabling him to finish them all off. When the battle was over and the UFO sunk, Matale explained to Arjun that these creatures had wrung a special deal from the grandfather of the gods that they could live independently of the gods in their own city. Thus the gods were unable to impose their domination on these beings. For that, they had to be exterminated by a human. Arjun's brothers must have been delighted with this story. When it was over, they all crowded around Arjun's heap of weapons and Yudhishthira asked Arjun for a demonstration. Arjun took them out one by one, showing how to turn them on, what they did, and how to fire them off. The brothers begged for a real test fire, so Arjun pulled out his Brahma missile, flipped the on switch, pointed it at a nearby mountain, and took aim. While this was going on, the sky grew dark, and a deep rumbling sounded from the roots of the earth. All the fires went out, and Brahmins everywhere forgot the Vedas. The entire universe was bracing itself for destruction. Swiftly, Indra came racing out of heaven, and he scolded Arjun for playing with loose nukes. Meekly, Arjun put his toys away, while Indra scolded Yudhishthira, saying, These weapons are only to be used against supernatural beings. You'll get to see them soon enough. We'll leave off the story at this point, because the reunited Pandavas stay there at Kubera's garden for another four years. The recycling of storylines gets hard to follow at times. First, we seem to get two back-to-back versions of The Journey North, Plus, the UFO battle is nearly identical to Krishna's battle with Shalva. Finally, the plot device of having a mysterious flower waft down from the Himalayas is something we have seen three times now. The first time we saw this was way back when the Pandavas proposed joint marriage with Draupadi. Old King Drupad was opposed to this act of polygyny, while Vyasa showed up and told him the story of the five Indras. In that story, the flower was spotted floating down a stream, and Indra followed it to the source. Where he got into a fight with Shiva in disguise as a boy. The boy then threw Indra into a prison, with four other Indras, and predicted they would all incarnate as the five Pandavas. There are subtle threads running through all of these tales, but we may never know how they originally related to each other. Next time, we'll cover the Pandavas' trip southward as they spend their remaining two years of exile and prepare for the thirteenth year in hiding. Thanks for listening.